So uh, a bit ago, I was in LA for the famous Bishop Robert Barron. I went to a conference for priests for three days on preaching. And I got to say, it was kind of what I needed just at the right time. Yeah, how so? I, so, I mean, I don't want to talk about it too much, but like the, the news, it's, it, it gets weighing on you and you're just, it, it, it weighs on you as a priest and everything. And then I go to this course and it w- I guess someone was underwriting all this for us because it was, they treated us like we were all stars. Ooh. It was amazing. Uh, a really nice hotel right on the beach. Uh, the food was fantastic. They gave us free books every day, which is always a thumbs up in my world. Oh, yeah. Free and books. Free books. <laughs> open bar both nights. Oh, look at that. F- free cigars. It was... Wait, wait. That's almost like too amazing now. And like, I wasn't jealous ready before, for the best... but now I am. Yeah, go ahead. And the best part was it cost me $150. Oh, man. What a steal. Yeah. So I would, but to be honest, I've never, well, I've never experienced anything like that as a priest. And the people who were kind of helping run it and sponsoring it, they said, we do this for priests because we want you to know that you're loved. Aww. And I thought, I've never experienced something like that before, but, and you don't want that all the time. Right. Priests, I think, I didn't want to post pictures of it all the time on Twitter because I was like, especially with everything going on. But at the same time, it was like once in a blue moon. It's nice to have something like that. I I walked away because it, it wasn't just that. I mean, we had the talks with Bishop Barron, which some were good. Some were, I, I've heard it before. Um, because you listen had, to Bishop Barron all the time? Yeah. Because he's great? He's, he's great. He's great. <laughs> it was awesome. I, I, there was about 20 priests there who I knew. Yeah. We we had we had all the Canadian priests get a picture with Bishop Barron. We, we kind of spontaneously broke out into O Canada, Blech. which was awesome. Blech. Hey, Blech. hey, Blech. hey. Blech. Just remember who wore the who won the War of 1812, okay? No, so. never. <laughs> <laughs> I will never remember that. <laughs> um, so we had, you know, there was that. Uh, just talking with different priests from all over. Getting met some other Twitter priests, which was kind of cool, uh, and just it was just a beautiful three days. And one of actually for me the highlight of the whole conference was not Bishop Barron, but was the poet laureate of California, Ooh. Dana Joya. He gave a talk on beauty. I was taking notes. I had to put my notepad down. I said, I just need to contemplate this. Mm-hmm. It was that good. No, he's uh, great. Yeah. He's great, and there were times when he's talking about beauty, the priests are like breaking out into spontaneous applause because <laughs> we were we were just it was it, it made our hearts sing, and I walked away from those three days, a man a priest rejuvenated, and happy, and it was just it was great. That's awesome. That was awesome. Yeah. So welcome to uh, clerically speaking. I'm Father Harrison, and I'm Father Anthony. So I understand, Father Anthony, that uh, someone sent you something. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, my goodness. So I have here, if you can hear, this bag of Lay's potato chips. But not just any potato chips, Father Harrison, but ketchup-flavored potato chips. Oh, my gosh. I know. Now, before before we try these... I have to put out a little caveat. I've I've had Lay's ketchup potato chips. They're okay. I'm this is my personal opinion. They're mm-hmm. okay. I in Canada we have this brand called Old Dutch, 
and they make fantastic chips. So I want I, eventually I will get you, maybe when I maybe when I come down in October I'll bring you a bag of ketchup chips. Uh, you you actually have to, okay. or else I will kick you out of Pittsburgh. You're, I have that kind okay. of power. Uh, I am the okayest priest here. So I have to give a thanks for uh, to Michael Stapulia. He's at at M S T Y P U L A. He was the lovely Pittsburgher who actually bought these chips for me. I have never tried them. So, I've opened the bag. They smell good, actually. We're sitting here with bated breath. I know. It's got a good uh, ketchup, pecan, tomato smell. Um, they look kind of like a Not, barbecue potato chip. Yeah, I see. I want to see more. I want to see more red on there. You, this is not enough. So yeah, yeah people. Wait, people. People are not seeing this video. So his chip, yeah, it looks like a barbecue chip. Yeah, but and anyways, let's let's give this a try. Let's see if this is this Canadian food is what's cracked up to. Um, well, these are very okay. <laughs> They're like very mild. It's got like see, a mild like tomato flavor. There's not much to them. Yeah. That's why but, I said they don't look too tomato-y. They don't look like they're loaded with ketchup. That being said, like, I could totally eat an entire bag of these. Yeah. They're not bad. Like, I won't because it would be really annoying <laughs> to hear an entire box. <laughs> but, um, you know what? While I'm still not totally convinced that Canada is a real place, I'm becoming yeah. more and more open to the idea that it is a real place. And these chips have been a slight movement forward in that. So to prove that it's a f real place, I think you need to come visit me on the island sometime. On Vancouver Island. But, like, what's there? Like, why uh, would I do that? Well, first, I'm here. Uh, I mean, okay. But, like... Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, I live an hour and a half away from the Pacific Ocean. Uh, with where Tofino is, which is like world famous for its oh. beaches and its ocean and its fishing. Uh, we have lots of mountains for hiking and stuff. Got beautiful Ooh. lakes, like a lot of natural beauty. All right. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a cool place. I, I quite like it here. You know, and one of those things you kind of mentioned it when you're talking yeah. about South conference you went to, like yeah. being able to hang out with other priests is really great because we don't get to do it very often exactly like so often we're so immersed in what we're doing and in our work like i live right now with two other priests um, one of them is at shrank he's been at our parish for a little while another uh priest um father matt and i see father matt like once a week and we live in the same you know house and it's right. just it's really tough like whenever we actually run into each other we talk um, we try to sit down and talk to each other, which is great, but it just doesn't happen a lot. Right. And I end up tweeting at Shrank more than I actually end up speaking to him, even though we have the same exact assignments. So, well, he was—I was talking about that today to him. I said, you know, I said I'm surprised that you that you guys are still on talking terms. He goes, no, the secret is that we just tweet at each other. Yeah, like it's—it's it's not even that much of a joke. It's pretty—it's <laughs> pretty real. So. Um, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. How, 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 how's your week been in general besides been, the ketchup chips? You know, it's been great because normally at my parishes, so I have three parishes right now. Yeah. I have one pastor. So it's usually just two of us. And within those three parishes, we have nine different Sunday masses 
and one Holy Saturday morning smokes. mist. So That's I am used to saying, you know, average five masses a weekend. Holy and smokes. It is utterly exhausting. Like, yeah. one of the most difficult things was within the first six months of my priesthood was after an entire Sunday of masses and everything was getting to a Monday morning, eight o'clock mass and being like, ugh, mass again? Right. Like that was my gut reaction. And then after I felt that, I was like, oh my goodness, I never expected that. <laughs> and you, you see the wisdom of the church when it says like three masses in case of emergencies for a Sunday. Yeah. Because you just do, you get exhausted by it. Yeah. But I say all that, uh, not just to say how, um, what a martyr I am for my parishes. And I, you know, I really, Which you are. really am. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, having uh, Father Alex Schrenk around has been just a breath of fresh air. Because one, he's a good dude. But two, like just not having all those masses, like having three Sunday masses a weekend is, it's night and day. It's wonderful. Yeah. So I've been really enjoying yeah, yeah. that. Nice. Cool. Yeah, it's people don't seem to realize that, you know, people say, oh, we could just we should just have this mass and that mass. I'm like, do you realize how exhausting it is for a priest to say mass? Yeah. Uh, you have to literally, it, 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 okay, I, I say this with all the caveats, of course, but it's like doing a, a live performance. Mm -hmm. And those are exhausting. And there's a reason, like, plays and stuff usually only do one showing a day because it takes everything out of you to do it. Right. You need to prepare yourself. You need to, you know, we have to pray and everything. And, and I, you see, I'm on the opposite spectrum where I am. I have one Saturday night mass and I have one Sunday mass. That's good. Don't feel ashamed of that. I'm not. Oh, no, 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 I'm not. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not. I, I feel a little guilty in the sense that I hear what you guys are going through. And I'm just like, that's not fair. Yeah. There's that. There's also, I used to be at the cathedral where I had three, uh, I had masses. I had, well, I only had two masses on Sunday. I only had two masses on Sunday. Yeah. Sometimes I'd have three depending on needs, but two masses on Sunday. Plus I ran religious education on Sunday. Plus I ran the youth group on Sunday afternoon. Plus I ran the young adult group on Sunday night. Thankfully, my pastor was very understanding and he said to me, I don't expect you in the office on Monday until like you say mass or you're hearing confessions at oh, 1130 nice. yeah. because we only had the one mass on Mondays anyways at noon. So, and I really appreciated that because it's, it's exhausting. Yeah. When you're even, I'm an extrovert and I get energy from being around people and I would go home on Sunday nights. Utter, like I couldn't do anything. I just lie in bed yeah. and that's all I could do. Yeah. Shocking. I mean, I'm actually rather introverted, but like, what you say about like mm -hmm. the human almost, and this is not the great language, but there's something to it, the performance aspect, but also like, you know, you and I, I can say pretty safely to assume this, like we're trying to like pray the mass. Exactly. Right? So like we are, you know, in the person of Christ in this and like there's a sacrifice of yourself in that as well. I think on a yeah. spiritual level, it's, even though it, it is certainly God's work and everything. Um, yeah. And also pouring your, like, I feel like we both also try to try to pour our heart and souls into the homilies. So preaching is exhausting. Yep. Um, but anyway, that's all just to say it's good to have a little bit of help. Yes, so, totally. I've it's, been enjoying that. And when you're going, because you guys are going through major changes in October. Uh, we are, we are, right? yes. And how will you have less masses when you go to your new parish? So yes and no. Okay. So what the diocese is going to adopt in Pittsburgh is we're going to go back to good old-fashioned canon law and have only three Sunday masses per priest. Okay. Now the thing is, um, 
I will also be a chaplain at uh, Westminster Westminster College, and okay. they have another mass. So okay. during the school year, I'll be doing four. Um, oh my gosh! Which you know, to but be that's honest, over the whole weekend. That's over the whole weekend. Yeah. Or just Sundays. Just the weekend, the Sundays. So okay. Uh, um, oh, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'll be able to do it because I'm you know relatively used to it. Uh, it'll still be easier than it is now, to be honest. Um, right. So yeah, we're we're trying. The idea behind all this is to kind of consolidate these things so that we can have more energy to go out and evangelize, and that's a really short version of what my diocese is going through right now. Right. Right. Cool. Awesome. Well, let's uh, head into our newly minted segment, as we we found out last week. Yes. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. We talk of So let's. I, uh, I gotta, I gotta give a shout out. I think to uh, Shameless Papist, the papal bull is. Oh is man, what a character he is! What a character! He got picked up of all places on BuzzFeed News on Twitter. Oh right, yeah, right? he's like and really famous now. One, one second. I'm gonna put myself on mute for one second. All right, looking for that Seamus. There we go. There, there we go. go. So. Uh, I was. I didn't want people to have to hear the video in the background from where his cheat was mentioned here. Yeah. But he says this, It's been an awful, terrible, no good week. But listening to my teenage daughter convince my youngest child last night that J.R.R. Tolkien's real name was Jokin Roken Roken Token was absolutely priceless. And he got picked up as like number one tweet of the day on BuzzFeed News for that one. And I yeah. thought, yeah. bravo, bravo. Yeah. How many, like, uh, what was the stats on that? Do you have the stats on that tweet? Because it blew up. I'd, it did it? I don't, I actually don't know. I'm not, I'm not looking at the, um, yeah. It went like, le- tweet here. it went like legitimately viral. Um, okay. Like, so, not like our, not Catholic Twitter viral, where it's like, like 2,000 likes, like 10,000. Like real Twitter, secular heathen viral. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is very funny because shameless papist, as you can imagine, is, is quite the Catholic. Um, also, also fan of the show. Yeah. Uh, so hey, thanks for listening. But yeah. um, you know what? That's the one thing I uh, I really pre- I love hearing stories from families, like the silly stuff. Yeah, yeah, like, it's yeah. delightful to hear. Um, mm-hmm. Like the other day, I was just hanging out with um, uh, good family friends of mine. I've known them for a long time. They've known me since before I was in seminary. And you know, mm-hmm. I baptized their one daughter. I'm godfather to the other daughter. Um, and just like the silliness of like kids is is very refreshing to hear. That's one of the nice things about Twitter. All these good Catholic families just kind of sharing their stories is always right. uplifting, I find. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Do you have a tweet or should yes, I? Yes, I yeah? do as I scroll through and pick one right now. Uh, okay. Oh, this was good. This is since we've been talking about Father Shrank all day. Um, 
and this is talking a little bit about what was what's been going on um, with the whole Vigano thing. His tweet was, "The corruption and intrigue of all this is provoking comparisons to the worst moments of the medieval papacy." But of course, if things were really that bad, Vigano would have been poisoned ages ago. And this is one of those tweets that balanced like a good pastoral message with a little bit of silliness with also a lot of truth, I felt like. Um, his, his knowledge of church history can add a lot of great humor to these things. Yes. In a good way. Like in a, in not in a, it's not poking fun at the situation itself, but he's, it's a funny way of reminding us things are bad, yes. but they've been worse. Yeah, and like, like I was go gonna ahead. say, like he, he he did a whole thread yesterday about decorations on the portals of cathedrals with release of evil clergy being swallowed up into the yawning mouth of hell, right? right. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, and this is normal for medieval arts, so right. Or even if you think about like stories uh, from the Canterbury Tales, yeah, like this is like a running theme that like. The regular, ordinary peasants, exactly. Catholic, like, didn't think very highly at all of these, you know, somewhat educated yeah. clerics. Um, and there's something good about yeah. that. Because yeah, totally. that kind of understanding that they were um, a bunch of goofs didn't stop them from, like, knowing what the Mass was or the importance of confession. Exactly. And, like, there's something good about, like, a understanding of the fallen humanity of the priest, but also a reverence for the office mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that we're being like forced in a really dramatic way now to like really re-understand and rediscover that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. So my next tweet is from uh, awesome mum on Twitter, uh, Katie Prisian McGrady. Oh, she's wonderful. And uh, she she has a lot of mom tweeting now, and it's mm-hmm. awesome. And she goes, Rose got her one-year-old shots today, so she's a little crankly and definitely needing a nap. There's also a work crew outside our house filling a pothole today, meaning jackhammers and asshole trucks are shouting. In other news, I prayed the litany of humility this morning like an idiot. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> People are super I, I, afraid of the power yeah. of the litany of humility. It's for good very reason, powerful. Though. And it's like, or maybe these things would have still happened, but then it helps you by praying it. It helps you see that these events have, uh, they see, see them through the lens of the Lord is asking you to grow in humility through this. Mm-hmm. And it, it also, hey, it shows you, we can post all the nice things we want on Twitter, but uh, in the end, life can be tough. And, uh, and it is just a fun way of looking at the power of that litany of humility, which is, uh, it's like our third, ep- second episode now where we mentioned, we did mention the litany of Twitter humility initially oh, right yeah right? exactly and now the litany the true litany of humility it's uh <laughs> it's a i don't know but i just thought it was a it was a good tweet to show that uh humility is always there to be found if we just have the eyes to see it i agree and yeah. then uh one that we have to mention this is from uh uh haiti mart haiti mart at uh costco rice bag uh, and this is blown <laughs> up on twitter because it's just amazing so the tweet is pretty simple is is it just me or did I just pull off the greatest Twitter scheme of all time? Oh my read gosh, the, yes. Read the first word of my tweets to find out. So you read that tweet, and you click on our profile, and then you realize for months, the first word of her tweets, going backwards, if you, so how do I explain this? So if you were to just go through her timeline, it is the words from Bohemian Rhapsody, the first word of each one of her tweets. Mm-hmm. And what makes this amazing is not only is it 
all of the lyrics to Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, the tweets are normal, good <laughs> tweets. Like, yeah. it's not, like, contrived at all. They're like, oh, my goodness. So you just go through it, and you almost, like, sing it to yourself. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? And it's, it's, it's utterly brilliant, and yeah. she deserves all the likes and retweets she's gotten. Um, it is probably the single greatest form of Twitter art that I have ever seen in my life. Like, I was getting more and more, like, excited. I was, like, getting out of my chair as I was reading this because it was just yeah. so brilliant. So... Well, like when people are like, "How do you? How do you?" Uh, I, I actually I missed those tweets, but like, how do you incorporate Scalamouche, Scalamouche into your into your normal Twitter conversations? Right, <laughs> but it just she just did. <laughs> she it, did, yeah. Um, and kudos to her. And there's and now that it's been done, it cannot be done again. Exactly. Like she pulled it off, and it was so original that no one will ever do anything like this ever again. And it was amazing and brilliant. And just like, so check out at Costco you know, rice bag because it's really worth yeah, it. It's really worth it. All right. Well, I guess now we're going to head into our, our next segment here, which is presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the best part. Oh, yes. Yes, quite. Yes, quite. How did you come about discerning your vocation? Like, like, just maybe briefly, like, was this... How did how did you go about the process of discernment? We talked last week about yeah. discernment of spirit. So it's just more important. I mean, it, it has a place also with vocational discernment, but it also just it plays also just into our day to day life of are we growing closer to the Lord or not? But in the question of vocation, how did you, uh, yeah, come to your vocational decision? So uh, I'll give you the really short version. Yeah. If you want me to come to your parish and give you like the half hour to hour version and pay for my plane flight, I, I do an excellent job. I have lots of jokes. But anyway. The short version is basically, I got really into my faith during high school and uh, had an excellent youth group, was praying with the Our Father on the retreat, thy will be done, you know, do I really mean it? Well, yeah. the one thing that'd be the difficult thing for me to do would be a, was to be a priest. I was like, oh no, I would never want to be a priest. You know, I was yeah. dating a girl in high school at the time. That was a big deal. Wait, wait, it whoa, was... whoa. Girls liked you? Oh yeah, exactly. This is why this is huh. a big deal. This is why it was not an easy decision, because it's not a given that I would be popular with the ladies, but there's one lovely lady I was at the moment, okay? So I was like, no, I can't be a priest. Ridiculous. But then I was like, ooh, that means I don't really mean it when I'm praying mm. to our Father. So right. I decided, you know what, God? If you come down in all of your fiery glory, you point to me, you say you want me to be a priest, you give me a written document signed by Jesus so I can show other people I'm not crazy, I'll be your priest. Which did not happen. What did happen was... And that's I, why we all think you're crazy. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, um, <laughs> but I started going to uh, daily mass in the summer. And yeah. I started going to confession more regularly. And basically, I fell in love with the sacraments. Mm -hmm. And then people kept telling me I'd make a good priest. And God was just super annoying. Like, every mm -hmm. time anyone talked about vocations, I felt this, like, tug on my guts. And then whenever I visited the seminary, I felt that peace. I was like, mm -hmm. I don't know what's going on, but I need to drop everything, enter seminary, and figure this out. And yeah. uh, after 
And each year at seminary, I was like, all right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. And eventually I was, you know, by my third, fourth year in seminary, I was all about this priesthood thing. I really wanted to do it. So that's, that's basically what happened to me. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. I, I, um, I had a, I mean, I won't go to, but I, I, I had a conversion in university. Uh, I wasn't going to church at all growing up. And I literally, I call it like a two by four of grace where God just kind of had hit me over the head (laughs) and he did. And I fell in love with him literally overnight. Um, went to confession the next week and just started going to mass and, and got, and, and just taking life at the church. And a couple of weeks, months after that, I remember, I don't know, I just felt this, this little thing on my heart saying, I got to serve him more. So I went to my director of our cathedral who, and I said to him, can I meet with you one day? And I sat down with him. I looked at him and I said, I think it might be called to be a priest. And he just looked at me for a second and then he started to laugh. <laughs> and then he says, "Well, I guess God has done stranger things." What? <laughs> he How was that make not. You feel? <laughs> oh, totally fine. Because I didn't expect it either. He was. It was totally out of left field for him. He never saw this coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was really good. He says, "Well, we got to take our time with this. You're still kind of just taking your faith seriously still." So, and he was. He was very wise on that. I had to finish university anyways. So, uh, finished university, graduated, got a. Uh, but before that, um, I was, before I finished university, I was going to, uh, there was, I was thinking about priesthood for a while. Then I was going to a young adult group at the cathedral and well, there's guys and girls at these young adult groups. And so I found this girl who I found, I was kind of falling head over heels for. Uh-huh. I thought, ah, uh, I'll put the priesthood thing to the side for now. I'll just kind of chase her. And to the point where like, we weren't dating or anything, but we were hanging out all the, everyone thought we were dating cause we were just hanging out all the time. But, um, we went we actually ended up going to world youth day and her family asked me if i could travel with her to go visit some of her family in europe before we went to world youth day i'm like well not thinking things through smartly enough obviously i thought oh yeah sure <laughs> that'd be awesome <laughs> you're like hell yeah absolutely and then she'll like <laughs> she'll finally fall in love with i mean nothing nothing bad or anything right it's just more of a we'll be close together and then she'll obviously want to fall in love with me right how could she help right? herself Right, exactly. So it'll finally happen. So we were going around <laughs> Europe and visiting family. But the thing was, like, the first night I kind of realized that like, she's not the girl I thought she was. And the scales fell from my eyes. Like, it was an infatuation is what it was. Oh. And it was good. It was it was tough in the moment because I had flown for, like, 40 hours. And I was overtired. And uh, it was just, it was a bad moment. So, but anyways, I went to World Youth Day in 2005. And the desire of priesthood started to come back again. So I went with that for a while, but I kept on flopping back and forth. Should I be a priest? Should I be married? You know, I want to be a saint, and I want both of these things. And I don't know, I feel a special call to marriage, and I feel a special call to priesthood. Which one am I supposed to do? So I eventually went to seminary through some awesome circumstances. and um, But it wasn't until my an internship year. So at our seminary, we do an internship year. We spend a year working in a parish as a seminarian. And it was there that I read a book by one of my favorite theologians, Hans Urs von Balthasar. And it's the book, it was introduced to me by a friend in, in Toronto, and it's called The Christian State of Life. And I read that book and I said, oh my gosh, I'm called to be a priest. Wow. It was the word of clarity that I needed. But it took me until my third year of seminary to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a, a really clarifying moment. It was like a... It was, again, scales falling from the eyes type of moment. It, he gave a clarity to the idea of vocation 
that I had never really heard before. And I wish someone would have told me years earlier because it would have made this whole discernment thing a lot easier. Yeah. Because discernment gets overcomplicated. Well, I want marriage. Well, I also want priesthood. How does it all work? So, so anyways, so that's kind of my lead into, uh, I'm going to use the book a little bit as a kind of a guiding post for um, talking about vocation and yeah. discernment of vocation. So like last week we talked about discernment of spirits, which works on both the big level and the small level of day-to-day Christian life. Yes. But, you know, if you see me on Twitter, I, I swear it's like once a month I have a tweet storm about this. So now I can just send them this podcast. About yeah, it. there you go. That's <laughs> why we go. we're really doing this, by the way, is because we're tired of answering your questions on Twitter. Let's just talk about it, and yeah. just you just it's listen all, to our. It's podcast. all about self promotion. It's all about self promotion. Yeah, we're all about ourselves here. Uh, so, I I read this book. It's not an easy book to read. It's five hundred pages long. It looks like it's five hundred pages. My goodness, it's it's a thick book, uh, and it's a and it goes through all sorts of things. But I want to kind of give the kind of breakdown of what he says about vocation. So the Christian state of life, Hansers von Balthasar, for those who don't know, I'm not going to go through the whole biography of his life, but he's one of the major theologians of the 20th century, like high, uh, major good friends with Cardinal Ratzinger. He is uh, kind of a big deal, right? And by kind of, we mean a really big deal. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's a cool name, Balthasar. Oh, I know, I know, exactly. Uh, he is... Uh, some people don't like him because of his theology of of hell, but people often misinterpret what he means by that, and I'm not mm. going to go into that today. That's a whole but other podcast. That's a whole yeah. other podcast. Uh, but he is really one of the key figures of 20th century Catholic theology, and uh, a man who he he was such. I'm, I'm kind of envious of him sometimes. He had this ability to read a score of music once and have it all memorized immediately. He's like a super nerd. Yeah. It's yeah. Amazing. Uh, that's why when you read him, like when you read him, scripture just kind of flows off his pen because he's got it all memorized chapter and verse. He knows where it all is after one reading. He, he's, he's one of those savants and you just, you're kind of always jealous of them a little bit because yeah. you, you, want, you want to be that smart too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Christian State of Life is his book written as a reflection, kind of building on our theme from last week on St. Ignatius's spiritual exercises. Uh, he started off in the Jesuit order. He eventually left the Jesuit order to, to form the community of St. John with Adrian von Speyer. But uh, this is his kind of theological reflection. What is, what, is the, what is the spiritual exercises all about? And when I read this book, like I said, it just scales fell from my eyes. I, it, everything just made sense and clicked for the first time in my life. And the main argument he makes is this. Everybody is called to marriage. Because our bodies are built that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a man, and literally my body is built to be in union with a woman. Mm-hmm. Yes. And vice versa. Right. This is the nat- what we call the natural call. Everybody's called to be married. This is what God had created from the beginning. Um, it's what has been it's the one thing he kept since the fall. Yes. And it right. says that in, our, in the uh, marriage rite as well. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's a beautiful little line that says yeah. the one in, um, blessing, right? Not sullied mm-hmm. or something by the fall. Like I think that. it's in the nuptial blessing. Yes, you're right. Yeah, I think that's yeah. where it is. Yeah, yeah. Tweet so us it's if the, we're wrong, but I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so it, marriage is what, it's the universal vocation. So he makes this interesting argument to say that marriage does not need to be discerned. Oh. 
Yeah. Fascinating. Because it's what we're built for. If you're not called to religious life or priesthood, get married. Whoa. We'll, we'll go into some distinctions with yeah, that later. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have to. I know. Everyone's like, ah! <laughs> but I'm a single person. What do I do? Oh, no. Father, tell me. <laughs> I'm sure it's exactly uh, what everyone said in their car or as they're jogging. Exactly, exactly. Probably Nick is screaming it in the background right now. Oh, poor producer Nick. Poor Nick. <laughs> poor producer Nick. Sorry, He's Nick. a lovely person. Uh, Somebody love producer you, Nick. Nick. Marry my yes. brother. Hey, Nick, move to Victoria. I know like 10 single Catholic women who are looking to get married. Well, let's not get crazy. He has to stay in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Oh, well. We can... But anyway. Anyways. Uh, so everyone's called to marriage. This is our natural vocation. And it's a vocation of love. So before I go into priesthood and religious life, there's one important thing he says about all this. Every, everyone, is love, everyone is called to love. Because we have been loved by God through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This means then, love always demands to take a form. It's one of his favorite words, form or shape. It needs to take some, some distinctive contours. It needs a, a way of being. Which means, in other words, he says, love demands a vow. It demands a commitment. Because it says, I'm willing to give myself totally to you. If love does not embody a commitment, it's not love. And I think that's a really important principle to kind of keep in mind as we go through our different distinctions later on. Yeah, absolutely. So this is why everyone is called to marriage initially. If you're not called to priesthood religious life or, or consecrated single life, then you're called to be married. Okay, I'll deal with what happens if neither of these things happen later on. Then he says, if essentially that God's going to place an election on your heart if you're called to be priesthood or, to priesthood or religious life because it's something it's a supernatural vocation you're living something that's different than what is natural to the world this means then that we have to there's God's going to place something in our heart to hear his voice say I want you to leave everything and follow me it's not to say that you don't can't live radical discipleship in marriage but there's a form to priesthood and religious life that objectively at least objectively conforms itself more closely to the life of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Objectively. The sign is objectively closer to what Jesus lives. It's not saying marriage is bad. Not at all. It's just saying Jesus lived poverty, chastity, and obedience. And so too is, are those called to religious life and priesthood. He goes, I mean, the book's 500 pages. He goes into the whole re, the whole distinction between um, diocesan priesthood or and um religious priesthood and stuff right. like that and he actually makes arguments essentially that priests are really meant to live the evangelical councils of poverty chastity and obedience right are we on the same page so far yeah i think so so i think it's important to like because sometimes that's a sticking point for people yeah. a lot of people like even in the church i think um some theologians like quibble about this a little bit about um conformity to christ and actually i had a, I had a lovely argument with one of my friends about this like conformity to christ in an objective sense like did you live a life that was similar to the way he lived mm -hmm. but that's different than yeah. holiness yeah so you can have somebody who is poor who is a priest who you know that but they might not be holier than a right. married woman right or exactly. even a single woman or a single man right so exactly th there's a distinction that needs to be made in that Exactly. There's a diff. It, it's um, the objective sign and conformity, and the subjective holiness. 
mm-hmm. right? Objective is the universal thing. Subjective is how I in, live this out in my own life. Yeah, you need both of those things always, and Absolutely. everyone is called to bring the conformity of their state of life. That's why he calls it Christian state of life. By the way, that's where my old Twitter handle came from. Was from this book. No, I wasn't an integralist, which bleed in the idea of a Christian state. Oh, that's another <laughs> podcast. That's an, oh, I, I want to do that one one day. Don't which worry, Which will be folks. interesting because I have said on Twitter multiple times, I refuse to learn or understand what that is. Yeah. But anyway. Well, you're going to have to. You're going to have to. Yeah, you literally, <laughs> I think, went la, 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 la on Twitter when I tried to tweet it to you. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyways, um, so Christian state of, so he so goes on to say that, the priesthood of religious life requires a special call in the heart, essentially, that you need to discern in your heart a desire to leave all things and to follow Christ. And when I heard that and I read that, I said, oh my gosh, this makes sense. I'm not called to marriage because I've had that call all along. I just thought that that special call had to be discerned for marriage as well. He says, Ah, no, marriage doesn't need to be discerned. And this is very close to what St. Ignatius says in his spiritual exercises as well. St. Ignatius says you don't you don't spe- experience a special election to marriage. If it's it's you only experience a special election towards priesthood, religious life, consecrated life, essentially. And if you don't, that's a way of saying to you you're called to be married. You can almost like understand like the the um, older, more common terminology of vocation uh, in the in the popular sense. Uh, back in the day, when you, mm-hmm. a vocation, if someone had a vocation. It was to priesthood or religious life, right? Like, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I hope my son or my daughter has a vocation. They meant called to religious life or called to priesthood. But but now, what we usually mean by vocation is like like any of them, right? Marriage, yeah. priesthood, religious life. But yeah. what Balthazar seems to be saying, from what you know, you're telling me, is that kind of de facto, you're probably yeah. called to marriage. Yeah. It's if something is a little bit different or a special thing has been placed on your heart. Yeah, exactly. Which, which it sounds like what you're saying is it should be made fairly obvious to the person. Yeah. Yep. Then you might be called I, to those other things. Exactly. And the obviousness also depends on us as well. We need to be open to hearing it, yeah. which means we need to have a life of prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are many people who are called to priesthood religious life who never hear the call because they've never heard the gospel or they've never opened their heart to the gospel or whatever. Or they're Christians, but they don't really pray. Right? Stuff like right. that. Right. Yeah. So, um, you have there again, we have a Balthazar is big on freedom and we have a freedom at play. And it's not when, but we, we, it's about freely submitting our will to God's will, but as he pleases, people struggle with this because they think like it, some people really struggle with this idea. Unless the only way I can be perfect as a Christian is if I'm a priest or religious. I'm like, no, then you're not submitting yourself to what God's will is. And that's the big thing, right? Sometimes we, we, we have this idea of either holiness or vocation that we have to meet this thing. But really, mm-hmm. the only thing and the highest goal you can ever attain is following God's will. Exactly. Whatever that is. Like, if God's will for me was to eat this entire bag of ketchup-flavored potato chips, mm-hmm. and that was his goal for my life, Yeah. I could be as holy as Mother Teresa just by doing his exactly. will right there. Exactly. Now, now, normally God's will is more complicated than eating a bag of potato yes. chips. Unfortunately, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And so it's it, it requires humility, and to remember, 
I, I said to a directee once, I said, do you believe that God will love you just as much if you're called, if you're just going to get married? That's a good question. And it hit them like a ton of bricks. It was the question you needed to hear. Yeah. Uh, because that's where people struggle with it. They think I'm not going to be loved by God as much. I'm like, no, no, his, his, his elective love for the Christian is the same for everyone because we are all baptized. Amen. Right? Yeah. We are all baptized. That, that love is the same for you and for me. Why? Because in baptism, we receive the form of God's love, which is participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Woo! Yes. Right? That's his love. We don't need anything more, in a way. Yeah. But that love impels in us a desire to mission. Mm -hmm. And mission takes particular forms. Because the body has many members, and they each have a different role. And so some, many, most will take the role of being married people, raising a good family, following God's will. But you are not loved more, or not you're not loved less because you're married than the priest. Yes, that's very important. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's we, we are not special in that sense. In terms, we, we are not, we, the, the specialness of priesthood, there is a specialness, obviously. But the specialness of priesthood is conformity like you said earlier, to those traits of poverty, chastity, and obedience that Jesus lived, mm -hmm. that you can't necessarily live in the same radicalness in married life. But right, and also you're on the altar as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you're still loved the same by God. Yes. Completely and totally. And God loves all the married couples in my parish just as much as he loves me. There is no distinction there. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we really need to emphasize that. Yeah, like, so I keep on saying it over and over it's again. It's really good. It's like God really, actually loves you. And that yeah. can never be said enough. And exactly. that is not dependent on all whether or not you are, whatever your vocation is. Exactly. Uh, and there's something about that. Like that's, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's good. So if good, good yeah, good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So <laughs> if you're, you're yeah. Yes. So if you're. When you experience the elective love of God in terms of just being a Christian, this then impels in us a desire to want to respond to that love. Right? Yeah. You've given me everything. I want to give you everything in return, essentially. And this is where discernment comes in now. It's, so it, it precip it's precipitated on this idea that I've, been, I've experienced God's love in my life. I have been, I have opened my heart to receiving that love, and there's a desire in my heart to give completely back to him as he desires. This is the necessary qualities for discernment. And it's there, then you say, is he asking, and it's about choosing, discerning between, is this desire and idealization of what I think a Christian is supposed to do? Mm -hmm. Or is this honestly and truly God's will for me? So then the next question comes. Okay, well, how do we know for certain what's God's will for me if I'm called to priesthood religious life? Yes. Okay, let's say, yep, yeah, I'm experiencing some special desire. How do I experience it? Generally, the way it works is through the church. We have to remember that the church, despite all her frailties, still speaks objectively for God. So that... Ooh, that's tough. It is tough. It's very tough. But when a bishop ordains a priest, he's saying, I'm confirming your call. Yeah. The church confirms. Now, does this mean that everyone who goes into the priesthood is holy? Absolutely not. We know this very truly, right? Does this mean people, mean people try to 
I think if you're if you got ordained, I still think you were called, but you you chose to abuse the position in any way, which way you you did, right? Okay, but yeah. this is bringing up like there's yeah, I know, this gets complicated because one we still yeah, need to no, talk about very complicated. single yeah. people, but like yes. I think many people listening, and I, yeah. and, and I will include myself in this. We know priests who have more have left the priesthood, right? Yes. Like what is going on with that? I don't want to derail what you're going with, but like I was gonna, I want so I'll address that at the end. Okay, good. So these are the questions. So hang in there, guys. Because these are the big yeah. ones. I know you're thinking. Balthazar of. talks about the aborted mission. Wow, that's intense. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. Good. So okay, all right. So the church will confirm it. So and and now sometimes though, through no fault of our own, there are human players in the church, and there are human p- players in our lives. You're a young woman, wants to meet a man, wants to get married, have kids. Beautiful, wonderful. Through no fault of your own, you couldn't find someone who you could spend your life with. Maybe you live in a town where there's not many men, or at least Catholic men or whatever, which is an important quality, I think, to look for. Or you're a guy who goes to seminary, but maybe you and your bishop just never got along. And he never accepted you, wrote a really bad review of you, and you have nowhere else to go. What happens to these people? Balthazar says that this is a cruciform way of following Jesus. Okay. This is not, there is no vocation to the single life. Okay. Whoa. You're going to say that again. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go into this a bit more. Yeah, there is no vocation. This is big. And, and people are going to, I know I'm going to get added a lot about on this. Yeah. But you have yeah, to understand. The magisterial teaching of the church, the tradition of the church in this area has been clear and constant. There are two states of life. There's priesthood, religious life, and there is marriage. You read up until John Paul II, nowhere in the documents uh, from the, come from the Vatican on, on vocation, nowhere is there mention of single life as a vocation. For this one reason that Balthazar made earlier that I mentioned, Love demands a vow. It demands a vow. Yes. So what happens to the people who end up being single through no fault of their own? Okay. They're going to live this cruciform way of love. And Balthazar would argue that they actually live a kind of quasi-religious life. They will not be part of a religious community. They will, uh, they will not be married, whatever it is. But they will have a... Um, They'll live a life of prayer, devotion to the life of the church, service to her. They won't make any public vows, but maybe they might make some private vows with their spiritual director. Mm-hmm. And they'll live a life of cruciform love, the love of I want to serve the Lord, but through no fault of my own, through no fault of the church or whatever, or God's fault, I was never able to fulfill the vocation that God asked of me. And I'm going to live that in humble obedience, offering that cruciform love for the life of the church, hidden in the life of the church. Excellent. Can I interject right here? Yep. Yep. Uh, I, because this is, I think this is great because um, I'm blessed to know a lot of good youth ministers who are single people. Yeah. And none of them that I know, and they're they are excellent at what they do. None of them feel comfortable with teaching the single life as a vocation. Mm-hmm. None of them want to do that. Right. Because they, they don't feel like yeah. Personally, it is, and right. they get upset with this. 
Right. Um, but also, it, it's important to keep in mind, like, um, that doesn't mean that God, one, isn't going to love you as a single person mm-hmm. and isn't going to use you for right. great fruitfulness. Exactly. You know, and I, I, I've told other people this. If it wasn't for a single lay woman who was my voca- who was not my vocation director, um, my director? my my youth minister. Okay. Like, if it wasn't for her, I would not be a priest. Right. I really, I really, really strongly believe that. Like, in so many ways, she was the mother of my vocation. And I, yeah. like, use that as an example. Not that I am the great thing that she did or anything right. like that. Right. Let's not be silly. Right. Because um, you're not great. No, I'm just very okay. As exactly. A <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but uh, that kind of confirms, like, the feeling that they've always had. Like, they... They hear sometimes even, you know, bishops saying, talking about single life as a vocation, but they never feel yeah. comfortable with that. They don't yeah. see it as that themselves. That's not to say they're not yeah. incredibly fruitful, spiritually speaking, yeah. or that they in any way lack any experience of the love of God. Exactly. But they don't want to tell young people in high school, single life is something that you can, like, uh, to use just regular language, shoot for, right? Exactly. And I think... Well, because... Yeah. I was going to say too. I think I find, or I find that uh, in the other direction, people will use single life as an excuse to never actually figure out their vocation. Yeah. And because th- what I, what I like about what Balthazar says about all this is he's saying you can't be a bachelor. Yes. Which is an easy temptation for anyone who lives on their own or who's never going to get married or whatever. I'm just going to look after my own life. He goes, no, no, you have to live poverty for the life of the church. You're going to have to give more of your income to the life of the church uh because you uh you're you're living for her secretly and and it's that hidden love that is the most fruitful always it's so fruitful for the life of the church we need it so badly um and it's going to happen because and it's not because god we have to remember god's not a puppeteer master where he tries to into you know put all the little pieces together in our life so perfectly that we can, everything just, if you do this one thing, everything's going to fall into place. Yeah. Sin exists. Human freedom has been affected by sin. And so free, uh, choice, the wrong choices will be made in life that affect our lives. Yeah. Right. So it's about understanding this. And, and he will even say like, you know, some people will, uh, they'll, they'll, you know, maybe they were called to priesthood religious life, but because of a community or whatever, they were never able to fulfill a vocation. It's okay for them to go get married. Yeah. Right? It's okay. Go get married because that's your natural call and you're fulfilling something there. Uh, you're do, you're living vowed loves in some way. Okay. So, yeah. I want to put a question to you, though. Yes. Because um, normally there are, there seems to be like two ways of understanding vocation. And I have a yeah. feeling that Balthazar is neither of these, but these are the two ways okay. I number. There is the almost magical destiny version of vocation, where either you're supposed to meet this one person who is your soulmate, or you are meant to um, enter this one particular religious yeah. order. That is a thing. You yeah. have to do everything you can to get to that thing. And if you don't, you've missed out. And maybe you're not doomed, but you've lost that one thing that God had in mind for you. Right. And this this idea feels a lot of single people with like dread and panic and anxiety, yeah. but it's something that's out there. Yeah. And then there's the other idea, which is like kind of just do whatever you want and God will bless it. Yeah. Right? That's the opposite. Right. 
And it feels yeah. like Balthazar is saying something that's different than both of those. He would say, you're a horrible Ignatian if you say either of those ways. You're a horrible, horrible Ignatian. Uh, yes, because yeah. St. Ignatius would never say that yeah. in a million years, either of those things. He's being very faithful. If you ever do the exercise, you really start to see this is this whole book is really out of the exercises. You start to see it at play through throughout the whole thing. So to answer those questions, I think with regards to the first one, which was so specific. So here's my, my experience of this is a few things. I do think sometimes God does call us to a particular order or a particular diocese or a particular um, spouse if there's a particular mission. Like I look at St. Therese's parents and I can't help but think that maybe God had deigned for this to happen. Yeah. It's hard okay. to see it another way. Yeah. It's hard to see it otherwise. But that doesn't happen most of the time. But again... God doesn't love you less because you're not St. Therese's parents. <laughs> okay? It's yeah. it's 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 not that's not the way it works. God has particular missions sometimes. Same thing with priesthood and religious life. I do think if there's on your heart to live out a particular charism, that needs to be investigated a bit to see, okay, am I supposed to join a religious order? Oftentimes I think God just again, he mediates to us our desire for fulfilling our vocation according to our circumstances. I think there's a reason that my vocation to priesthood came out, out of the Diocese of Victoria. Yeah. Because this has been where I've experienced things. Um, I felt on my heart some certain charisms, but they never were to the point that I said, I have to leave this diocese to go join an order. So I think, so that's the one end. The other end is, I, and I hear that a lot too, just as long as you do whatever, as long as you just do something for God, that's okay. Well, no, you, you need to listen to him yeah. because the beloved wants to live, listen to the lover, right? And you want what he wants for you because you know it's not going to destroy you. You know it's going to give you life. Mm -hmm. Now what happens to the people who know the call and ignore it? Ooh, yeah, because it definitely happens. Balthazar says they're probably going to end up in hell. What? You can't tell people they're going to hell, Father Harrison. <laughs> this is this is 2018. People don't go to hell. Ridiculous. Are you ready? Are you ready for a really, a really? Uh, it's uh, this is this this past this phrase has got teeth. Oh no! So, yes, I'm very sensitive. I don't know if I can handle this. <laughs> okay. Just as an aborted fetus cannot be restored to the womb that should have borne it. So a rejected mission cannot be restored to the spirit that has refused to bear it. Well, there you go. There you go. He's very keen on this idea of mission. And if you haven't, in other words, essentially he's saying, if you're not listening to God and you're choosing to not listen to him, that means you don't love him. And if you don't love him, you're not going to be with him. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. It's, he's not saying, you know, because I know some people say, oh, my gosh, well, then they get anxious about their vocation all of a sudden. Well, if I don't right. make the right choice, then, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go to hell. No, no, no. You're, again, I say to people, calm down. You're you're actually wanting to figure out your vocation, so I wouldn't worry about that. It's He's talking about the people who, who purposefully walk away from what God asks them to do when they know it and their conscience is clear that they know it. Exactly. And it's very different. This is and I think an act it's of really the important. will. Yeah. It's a rejection, not exactly. a, I can't find it. It's a rejection. Exactly. So calm exactly. yourself. Exactly. Single so person listening to this. Chill. Yes, exactly. Chill. 
but okay. I say it for a few reasons. I say it to show, you know, Balthazar actually pretty clear on hell. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, yeah. I always say that to say Save you have that, to read his church speech. militant people. Exactly. You have to read his whole works to understand what he's saying about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I say that too, though, to show though, vocation is a serious business because love is serious and love wants all of us and it should ought to want us to give everything back to it. So give your heart to God, open him up. He does not destroy you. He sets your heart on fire. Why would you not want that? Why would you not want to be alive? It's like people keep on, you know, when I'm sure you heard it too. We got all sorts of weird reactions when going to seminary and wanted to become a priest. Yeah. I had a, a great aunt who was a little crazy and she said, Oh, are you gay? <laughs> <laughs> or could you not find a wife? Right. Like as if what we're doing is weird. I mean, it is weird. Right. But it's, it's different. like, yeah. but people see that we're losing out on something. And I'm like, no, we're gaining God. Mm-hmm. That's what we want. And it's the same thing for the married person who's not called to religious life. Priest. You're gaining God by doing what you're naturally called to. You're living out your baptism, which was the election of love. Live it out fully. Follow him with a passion. You will and, and trust him to make you a saint and you'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any closing comments on that? Yeah, and I think it's been an underlying theme, and we mentioned it a few times, but, like, God's love for you comes first. Exactly. And it's not conditional on your particular calling or vocation. Yeah. God just loves you. Yep. And then he calls you. Exactly. As long as you're open and willing and responding to that call— yeah. then you're accepting his love for you. Exactly. And that exactly. comes first. I would um, I, I would add to this that if you ever do the, you know, I would suggest if you're trying to take your vocational discernment seriously, I would highly recommend looking for the spiritual exercises to do an eight-day retreat. Yeah. Because in them, this is the whole point. You go through the week of the passion where you experience the desolation and the abandonment of God's love for you and everything. You go through the passion existentially and spiritually, but then you experience the resurrection. You experience God's love for you. And and then, and then you come to make your discernment of election because you know what God's love looks like. And you come to a place to say, okay, I'm ready. I'm in a place to hear his will for me. And you hear if he's asking you to leave him to do something more to conform yourself more closely to Christ. And if not, then great. You can walk away in peace to know I need to go find a spouse to go live my life with. And to also remember, if these things don't get fulfilled through no fault on your own, you can still live a life of holiness for, in a secret holiness for the life of the church by conforming yourself more closely to the cross of Christ. Yeah. And you can still be a great saint. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. It's like, a, yeah, yeah, amen. Amen. So um, that concludes our show for today. So if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at ClericalPod on Twitter. You can email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. We highly encourage you to leave reviews on Google Play and iTunes because this is how people hear about the podcast is when ratings and feedback is left. Uh, um, We also, yeah. And then so on Twitter, I am Father Harrison at Father, H-R-R-R-I-S-O-N. And I'm at Father Shirapa, spell out Father, S-C-I-A-R-A-P-P-A. And uh, that concludes our show for this week. We want to apologize to Tommy Ty. We wanted to have you on the show today. We just ran out of time. We're really sorry. We, we just talked too much today. And so we promise to have you on next week. Yeah, we'll, so, get, we'll get that 
wrap we'll get, yeah. we'll, trust me we'll get that working out for sure so for Father Anthony and for myself we want to say God bless and, and peace peace